Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, wonderful to see you. Thank you for being with us. Uh, today, we're going to be continuing on through our Nehemiah series. We're nearing the end. I don't know how you're feeling about Nehemiah. Maybe you're ready for chapter 13 to come, uh, or maybe you've been enjoying what God has been saying to us throughout uh, this series, which we've, been, which we've been involved now for a number of months. But we reached chapter 10 today, uh, and so I can, can I invite you to turn to chapter 10. It'll be a little while until we read it, but it'll be helpful for you to have it open for you in front of open in front of you. Um, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, as we say regularly, please do take the, the one that's in front of you. If there's one in and around your chair, um, if you don't have one at home, please take that with you. Uh, that would be our gift to you. We'd love, to, love for you to have God's Word with you. Um, we, we've mentioned time and time again throughout this series that the, that the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, uh, as we see taking place through Nehemiah, is a significant event in and of itself, yes, but it is also a picture of something else for us. Uh, Joel, would you mind flicking on to my computer for me? That would be great. And, and the something else that this building of the walls is a picture of is, of course, the rebuilding and restoring work that God is doing among his people. So we've been talking about the, how this series is a series of rebuilding and restoring of God's people in God's place for God's purpose. And so the rebuilding is, is also, as well as the physical walls, it's also taking place within God's people. And just like the physical walls had been left and torn into ruins, so the faith of the people had been in tatters at times too. They had turned away from God. They had been unfaithful to him. We saw that last week in chapter 9, didn't we? Uh, they had elevated lesser things above the status of God in their lives, and so their faith had diminished. Uh, and so part of what we see in the book of Nehemiah is the rebuilding and restoring of the people's faith in their great God. Uh, and now in chapter 10, what we're going to see is the, the people making some concrete commitments to what it means to renew this covenant relationship with God. Now, it's important to say right at the outset, God hasn't shifted in that time. Uh, we see that, we saw that last week uh, in chapter 9, verse 33, that we'll look at in a minute, that God's faithfulness had been consistent the whole way. The people had waned. The people had lost their, their hunger and their heart for God, yet he had remained faithful. So these, this chapter 10 shows us the people recommitting themselves to what they should have been doing all along. And in essence, what we're going to be looking at is, is set up for us by the final verse of chapter 9 that we did read last week, but we didn't mention it too much. So chapter 9, verse 38 says this, In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. So in view of all that had been before, and what had come before, what was chapter 9? Well, chapter 9 was a sweep through history, right from the inception of the people of Israel with Abraham, right up to Nehemiah's current day. And that whole sweep of history culminated in verse 33 that I mentioned. In all that has happened to us, the people said, you have remained righteous, you have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. And so now that they have come to that realization, which of course was there all along, but now they appreciate it, that this fresh appreciation of God's holy faithfulness to his people. Chapter 9 concludes then with this desire to recommit. We are making a binding agreement. Uh, and so this is not some flight of fancy. This is not some emotional response. This is not some whim that the, the people are on. This is an agreement which is being entered into willingly and knowingly. And this is an agreement that the people are making to demonstrate their willingness and their desire to renew their commitment to their God. Uh, and perhaps we could pause here just for a moment and repeat something that Dave Dunlop mentioned a few weeks ago when he looked at chapter 8 with us. Dave opened up uh, his message that day with this question. 
And for those of you who know Dave Dunlop, my mum included, this, will, this is a very Dave Dunlop kind of question. Do you ever feel or recognize the need to be renewed or refreshed in your faith? Do you ever feel or recognize the need to be renewed or refreshed in your faith? Dave then went on to explore and, and show us how Nehemiah 8 shows that any renewing or refreshing of our faith starts with God's word and is grounded in God's word. But it seems that the Jews here in chapter 10 are aware of this renewal that's needed in their faith. And maybe you are too here this morning. Dave mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. I'm sure many of us who are following Jesus have known seasons where our spiritual temperature has drifted. Where we've lost that awareness. We have lost that awareness of God's daily presence with us. It's not that God's presence has not been with us, but we've lost the sense of that and the, the reliance upon the daily strength that he gives. And perhaps your prayers have felt that they've been spoken out into the space in front of you and that, that's it. That's where it stopped. You haven't recognized that intimacy of communing with the Heavenly Father. And, and some of us may feel like we're there this morning and it feels like we've been there. Maybe you've been there for a couple of weeks. Maybe you've been there for a couple of months. Maybe you've spent years in this rut. And it's a rut that we feel like we can't shift and there are patterns that we can't change. Well, the, the good news of God's word, as I've said several times already, is that God hasn't changed in all that time. He has never and will never change. So the, the source of your salvation that you once knew and were joyful in is still the same. The, the holiness and the love of God is still the same. That The truth of his word and the promise of his spirit is still the same. And, and these chapters of Nehemiah, particularly chapters 8, 9, and 10, they provide an example for us of people who are seeking to rekindle their affections for Almighty God. They're, they're seeking to rekindle their faithfulness to God. And so take heart this morning. If you find yourself in that rut, take heart. That God is the God who welcomes his children home. I, I had the great privilege this week of sharing the story of the lost son from Luke 15 in assembly at Gilnherk Primary. And in that story, Jesus tells us, and, and the, it's a story that he tells, a parable that he tells. But in that story, Jesus explains that God is pictured as the father. The father standing on the porch, straining his eyes, waiting for his son to come home. And then when his son does come home, this is what we see in Luke 15, verse 20. While he was still a long way off, that's the son coming repentantly a long way off. His father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. This is the same God who stands ready to welcome us home who may have drifted from him. And not only that, this is the same God who offers the joyous welcome to any who come for the first time to him. Who come in repentance and faith. Who come like the son in the story who went off thinking he could live his life his own way. Realize, no, the father knows how to live life. The father is living in the presence of joy, eternal joy. I need to go back to the father. And so God stands ready to welcome us home. And so if you find yourself in that spiritual rut, your spiritual temperature's low, if I can put it like that, know that when we turn to him, as we saw last week in chapter 9 in confession, as we saw in chapter 8 grounded in his word, as we will see today when we turn to him in repentance with a desire to say, your will, God, above all else, then he's willing and ready to receive us. And so I pray this morning that as we engage once again with God's life-giving word, 
that we would see that welcome and the embrace that awaits us. Uh, So may we see him and may we see more clearly what he has done, who he is, what he has done, what he is doing amongst us now, what he is yet to do for us. And may we run to him. Uh, And as I said, chapters 8, 9, and 10 give this great example of people doing just that. Um, Now, I'm not suggesting that chapters 8, 9, and 10 are a formula that if you do A and B, you will get C. I'm not suggesting that that is the way that it works every time. But certainly what we see, the steps that God's people take in chapters 8 and 9 lay the foundation for God to move mightily in their lives. And so perhaps these are examples that we could do well to adhere to. So chapter 8, they rediscover God's good word. They ground themselves and hear his word. They recognize their sin before him because of his holy word. And so they come before him in chapter 9 in repentance and confession. And as they do that, they trace out God's faithfulness throughout the generations. And so they're led to worship him even as they confess they worship. And that's still an appropriate pattern for us. We hear God's word, God's good, timeless, eternal word. We see the holy purity in his word of our God, this God who welcomes us, but demands our all, and rightly so. This God who who shows loving kindness, this God who offers salvation and grace and freedom from sin and from hell. This is the God who we see in the pages of his word. That is how he has revealed himself. And when we see him as that, when we see his truth, we're led to confession. We realize how far we fall short. And we see as we do that, as we mentioned last week, 1 John 1, 9, that God is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so we're led to worship. We hear his word, we confess, we worship. And that worship then spills out. See, in 1 John 1, 9, he purifies us from all unrighteousness. So our lives are transformed by the grace that we've been singing about. And it's that kind of outward practicality that I think chapter 10 now takes us to, where the people are saying, well, we can renew our hearts inwardly, but that will have an impact in our practical living outwardly. And so what does refreshing our commitment to God look like? And I'd like to ask that question of us as well. If we are in need of that refreshment, but for all of us, if we're seeking to follow Jesus, what does it look like in practical terms to follow him? Um, So we're we're eventually finally going to get to read chapter 10. Uh, As I said, we start at the very last verse of chapter 9. Uh, We're going to read chapter 10. I'm going to skip over some of the list of names, but they are there and they're in God's word for a purpose and we're grateful for them. Um, I just can't pronounce a lot of them and it's going to be embarrassing. So we'll we'll make our way through, but um, we recognize them as as God's inspired word still. Uh, So let's read with me, if you will, chapter 10 of Nehemiah. In view of all this, I'm starting at verse 38 of chapter 9. We are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. Those who sealed it were Nehemiah the governor, the son of Hakaliah, and then all of that name list, which takes us down to verse 8, these were the priests. Then verse 9, the Levites, and we're shown who the Levites were. We've heard some of those before. Verse 14, the leaders of the people, and then that rather long list that takes us all the way down to verse 27. And then 28, The rest of the people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, musicians, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and all their sons and daughters who were able to understand, all these now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. 
We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us or to take their daughters for our sons. When the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. Every seventh year, we will forgo working the land and will cancel all debts. We assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel every year for the service of the house of our God, for the bread set out on the table, for the regular grain offerings and burnt offerings, for the offerings on the Sabbaths, the new moon festivals and the appointed festivals, for the holy offerings, for sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the duties of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites and the peoples have cast lots to determine when each of our families will bring to the house of our God at set times each year a contribution of wood to burn on the altar of the Lord for our God as it is written in the law. We also assume for... Uh, we also assume responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and of every fruit tree. As it is also written in the law, we will bring the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, of our herds and of our flocks to the house of our God, to the priests ministering there. Moreover, we will bring to the storerooms of the house of our God, to the priests, the first of our ground meal, of our grain offerings, of the first fruits of all of our trees and our new wine and olive oil. We will bring... And we will bring a tithe of our crops to the Levites, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we work. A priest descendant from Aaron is to accompany the Levites when they receive the tithes, and the Levites are to bring a tenth of the tithes to the house of our God, to the storehouses of the storerooms of the treasury. The people of Israel, including the Levites, are to bring their contributions of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the storerooms, where the articles for the sanctuary and and for the ministering of the priests The gatekeepers and the musicians are also kept. We will not neglect the house of our God. And so we read God's word and we pray that he will speak to us clearly through us, clearly through his spirit to us. And so here we have the people recommitting themselves to following the law, following the law of Moses. And in fact, verse 29 could maybe summarize all that then comes afterwards. That all these people now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord, our Lord. So the people here, we see the two verbs that they are committing to and are agreeing to, binding to, are follow and obey. They are going to follow the law of God, and they are going to obey carefully all the commands. And, and the people are, are binding themselves then to following and obeying. And I find those two terms interesting. There's obviously overlap to an extent in following and obeying, but there is distinction clearly. And so they're going to follow. They're going to let God lead their steps. They're going to be directed by the words and the laws of God. But they will also obey. They will carefully obey all the commands, regulations, and decrees They're not just going to follow from a distance. They're not just going to follow someone else's example. They are going to obey. They are going to put into practice what God's word tells them to do. This is not just theoretical religion. This is not just adherence of good principles. This is lived out faith. This is allowing the laws of God which which they are being directed by, which they are following. Those laws are also going to shape their very lives. And in some ways, this takes me back to our Head, Heart, Hand series, uh, if you were here for that, that the whole Bible shows us that faith in Jesus Christ is to be lived out. It, it is not to be solely an intellectual exercise. It's not just theoretical belief. No, faith in Jesus Christ is, is tangible. It's noticeable. It, it's demonstrable. 
we follow and we obey. And so following Jesus is not a, not a lifestyle choice. It's not something we do on a Sunday. It's not something we do because our culture tells us we should or our family history demands that we do. You know, following Jesus is a whole life commitment to, that we follow the Lord, our Lord. One commentator really helpfully puts it like this, that being a Christian is something more than giving our intellectual assent to a series of doctrinal propositions. It's a much more clever way of saying what I hopefully just did too. It means committing ourselves to the way of life which Christ has determined and exemplified for us. In biblical teaching, doctrine and deeds are inseparable. Belief affects behavior. And so to follow and obey God's word is key. If we are seeking to renew or be refreshed in our faith, we must follow and obey both personally and corporately, I would say. There's both of those aspects here, as we see in chapter 10. There is a personal commitment and a family commitment to take on the responsibility of adhering to the law, but that has a corporate aspect too, that we will not neglect the house of our Lord. That is a corporate we. And so following and obeying, if we are seeking renewal and refreshing in our faith, we must follow and obey. But let's dig into to what that actually looks like specifically because we are given some specifics that the Jews are going to turn to from verse 30 through to the end of the chapter. So they name some particular areas of their lives which need to be brought back in line with God's holy way. And, and God's holy way is an important thing to remember here. That, that, that God's law is holy because God is holy. To be holy is to be set apart. It's to be distinct. It's to be pure, to be other than. And so his laws reflect that. You see, we know from the whole scope of the Bible that the holy God calls his people to holy living. We can see it in both Testaments. This is all of Scripture teaches this. We see it in Leviticus 19. This is just one example in Leviticus. Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Be holy. As my people, you are to be holy. And then again in First Peter, we see... But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. We we can't escape this teaching from Scripture, and thank goodness we can't, that the holy God calls his people to holy living. And so holiness is a key characteristic for the people of God, and so as they follow and obey, that will mean a life marked by holiness. But the point of that holy law and the point of that holy life that is being lived out in obedience and following of that law is not, the, is not for the end goal and not for the benefit of the person living it out. So God's people are to be holy. Yes, absolutely. But they are to be holy so that we demonstrate our holy God, so that we live out our holy God, so that the people around the nation of Israel at this time and around us as God's people today See our distinctive, different, holy lives and praise our Father in heaven. If I can put it this way, following and obeying God's words leads to a life of faithfulness to God's ways, which draws people to God's life and brings praise to God's name. Following and obeying God's word leads to a life of faithfulness to God's ways, which draws people to God's life and brings praises to God's name. This is the wonderful message for the Jewish exiles returning to live in their special city of Jerusalem. But it is also 
true for us two and a half thousand years later as we seek to follow Jesus Christ. He is our Lord and our Savior. And so we long for him to be so indwelling in our lives that he spills out of it, that our lives and our hearts are transformed, that impacts our head, heart, and hands, that our belief determines our behavior. And so the holy God who we follow and obey then directs our lives to his holiness. And as he does so, he gets glory. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ today. Now, let's remember, and again, we will get to these specifics as we close. But let's remember that all of this happens, this holy life happens, as we see from chapter 9, verse 38, in view of all this. You see, holy living is not dependent on our effort alone. Yes, we as followers of Jesus are to take every effort and strive for holiness. But we are only able to do so, as Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, in view of his mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to him, holy and pleasing. See, it's as a result of all that he has done that he then welcomes us into holy living. It's a result of the sacrifice of Jesus that we are able to have our sins forgiven in the first place. It's because of the the strength of his spirit, which then indwells us as believers, that we are able to say no to temptation, able to say yes to God's way. It is all because of him. That's why it's been so helpful to frame this whole service today around grace. Because unfortunately, one of the things we see in chapter 10 is we see these promises, well-made, well-meaning promises but we only have to skip two chapters ahead to see that the people have failed to keep them. And so the first promise that we see is about marrying from the nations around. And this was a big problem for the nation of Israel throughout its whole history. God had said that you should separate yourself from the nations so that you will be my people. But they, at regular times throughout their history, they marry and mingle with nations around. Now, the goal there is not some kind of biological purity. The goal is holiness. The goal is a devotion to Yahweh. Because the problem with all their intermarrying that was going on is the people also adopted the practices and beliefs of the nations around them. And so their passion for Yahweh waned. They became unfaithful. Their hearts were turned away from Yahweh. And so the people again recognized this is a problem. It had been a problem as the resettlement of Jerusalem was taking place. If you flick back to the book before this, in Ezra chapters 9 and 10, Ezra tears his clothes and weeps because of this exact thing going on. And the people there say, okay, we will. We will, we will separate ourselves once again. Here again we see in chapter 10 of Nehemiah, they're having to commit to do the same thing. By the time chapter 13 comes, which is only 12 years later, Nehemiah comes back to the city and it's all happening again. And, and you see, the thing is, when we try to live holiness in our own strength, we can't. But we were never intended to do it in our own strength on our own. That's why God sent Jesus. We're going to turn in a few minutes to, um, as we look around communion, we're going to turn to Romans chapter 4. But I would love us to turn there now, if you can. Romans chapter 4. And this is going slightly off script, which is a wee bit dangerous. But Romans chapter 4. Sorry, I'll tell you what, Romans chapter 8, verses 1, 2, 4. If you want some more help 
to think about what is the place of the law then for us as believers? Can I encourage you? Romans is a great place to spend a lot of time and you will need a lot of time. But let me just explain and show you a little bit of some of the greatness of the grace of Jesus Christ and why it is so important for us. Romans 8, 1 to 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law, this is, this is the key, verse 3, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. See, the the righteous requirement of the law can be fully met in us, but not because of what we've done, not because of some great commitments that we have made personally and are striving in our own strength to do it. No, the righteous requirements are met fully in the law because Christ has taken all punishment for sin. And he has demonstrated the holy life that we are intended to walk in by his strength. And so Christ has made it possible for us to live this holy life. So perhaps we look at some of the biblical teaching around what it means to follow Jesus and we think it's unattainable. Well, as we've seen, holy living will make us distinctive from the world. Yes, it's supposed to. That's what it means to be holy. But Christ empowers us for that life. And not only that, to link us back to Luke 15, God is always welcoming to those who come in repentance and confession. We will make mistakes. We will mess things up. But praise our Father in heaven that he has made atonement for our sins and he offers forgiveness to those who turn in repentance. And so the... The folks in Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day, 400 years before Christ comes, they they make these commitments not to marry uh, from the nations around them. They make commitments to adhere to the Sabbath day and the holy festivals. And all of that is good. The law is good. Jesus' coming does not take away the requirements of the law, but the law is fully satisfied in Christ. And so now we can have faith in what Christ has done, not in our effort to obey the law, but what in, he, what, in what he has done for us. One of the last things that I want to take a, a moment to consider just as we close is in Nehemiah 10, we see a lot talked about the offerings that are going to be brought and the way that the people are going to commit to care for the house of God, to care for the temple. And one of the things that strikes me here is we work our way through, right from verse 32, the whole way to the end of the chapter, they're all about commitments that they are making to either provide for the sacrifices themselves or provide for those who will administer the sacrifices. So to provide for the priests and the Levites. But one of the things that struck me as I read my way through and have spent a lot of time in this passage this week is that the recurrence that we see of the people being willing to bring, they're willing to bring a sacrifice to bring wood for the, the offerings, to bring their tithes, to bring their meal, their grain, their olive oil, whatever it is. There's a real commitment to bring. And it struck me that that is true when we fast forward into the, the New Testament teaching of the church, where we are to bring a sacrifice of praise as we gather. And, and so 
I don't think it's the main thrust of this passage. That's why I'm not hanging the whole sermon on this thinking. But I think it's important for us to realize that the people here were committing to care for the house of the Lord. And that commitment should be with us too. That the temple of the Holy Spirit is ourselves. The body of the church is the body of Christ. And so we should be prepared to bring to provide for that body. Now, that can look like lots of different things. We bring time, we bring effort, we bring money, we bring giftings. We bring, practically then, that can work out as serving on a team here. That can work out as uh, calling around to someone's house with a, a message from God's word and a casserole. That can mean many different things. It can mean reviewing your financial giving to the work of God in this church. That can mean serving on our holiday Bible club team as the, as the summer approaches. But, but we bring something and we bring a sacrifice as we come. What I mean by that is it can cost us something to bring. I think that there's a recognition here that as the people of God are seeking to live their holy living, then when they corporately gather to worship their holy God, it costs them something. But it is a joyful commitment that they make to one another. And so if I can encourage you, let's be people who bring as he directs us. We bring ourselves, we bring what he's given us, and we live, out, we live out our holy living among one another, with one another, spurring one another on so that he gets the glory that he deserves because he alone is holy. I need to finish. Um, if any of that has been unclear, please come and talk to me after. Uh, this chapter we see people recommitting themselves to following and obeying God's ways, to follow and obey his ways, his good ways, his holy ways, his profitable ways, his beneficial ways, his true ways. And often that will mean that the lives of those who follow and who are committed to following Jesus, they will be distinctive from the world around us, but they are supposed to be. Because as people look at our lives, they don't see us, they see our, our heavenly father, our holy, good heavenly father. And so yes, we may come into difficulty by living and following and obeying the word of God. But ultimately, as we saw earlier on, we do that, that it brings, that following and obeying God's law leads to a life of faithfulness to his ways, which draws people to God's life and brings praises to his name. And that's what we're to be about. That's what I think this chapter in Nehemiah 10 shows us as well. And so come, if you are weary in your spiritual walk, come. If you... If you don't know Jesus yet as your Lord and Savior, come. If you are riding a crest of the wave as the Spirit is leading and directing you, come, continue to come. He is faithful and just. He is willing to welcome us home. He is willing to empower us to live the holy life that he's called us to. He is willing to help when that is tough. And he is willing to save and this is good news for each and every one of us. Let me pray as we finish and we'll turn our thoughts towards communion. Oh, our Heavenly Father, we, we recognize today that uh, for those of us who have been following you for a while, uh, we may, th this language of, uh, of needing refreshment and renewal in our faith might, might be appropriate for us. And so God, I just want to leave some space for us to do that recognizing that you haven't changed. We might have. We may have drifted. We may have let our priorities shift. We may have put other things above you in our lives. 
And so, God, we want to come in recognition of your good and holy word. We want to come and confess our sins before you. We want to repent of the things where we have turned from you. And we want to recommit our hearts to you. We want to recognize that you are our holy God. And so we lay ourselves before you again. And in the quietness, we do that individually. And Father, as we see the the corporate element of what's going on here in Nehemiah 10, we too, as your body here, your local expression of your church here, uh, we want to be people who who help and encourage one another. As Jack prayed earlier, we want to see spiritual maturity in us and in one another. We want to call out, lovingly and graciously call out error when we see it, sin when we see it. So that, Father, we may be spurred on to love and good deeds. So that we, we, our hearts may be drawn back to you and your goodness. So that our lives may be more in line with the Christ-likeness that you are seeking to call us to. And as we do all of that, Father, we recognize that all of this, living a life under your lordship is only possible because of you. It is only possible because of grace. Because of everything that you have done how you have sent your son to take the penalty of sin upon yourself, how you then bestow his righteousness upon us as we come in repentance and faith so that we can and stand before you, so that we are indwelt by your spirit who empowers us to live this holy life, turning from temptation and sin, but coming to you in repentance when we do stumble and yet knowing the joy of our salvation and seeing that growth and maturity and that that development of our faith not because of our effort because of your work in us and so father would you would you open our hearts to see you more clearly would you help us to grasp your love and your kindness and your holiness even more so that father we then devote ourselves even further to you father i pray that this morning your word will rest on our hearts May you continue to speak to us and lead us on. Because, Father, we want to live lives that glorify you. And so would you come and have your way, we pray. For your good name we ask these things. Amen.